Hi, you're listening to Oh Hey Heather, Tell Me a Story. Real stories, real experiences, by real people. I hope you enjoy. So I'm driving to work in the rain. Uh, Clearly it's going to be flooded by the end of the day. I'll figure out another route home, which is fine because thanks to back roads, there's like 50 ways to get home. But the point is, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to a Joe Rogan podcast, and I've also been contemplating my own thoughts because tonight is my first airing of a podcast with my brother. And I know it seems like no big deal, it's your brother, and I'm like, I know, but we have so many things to talk about, and we have to keep it all in one place and keep a flow, and it's like a debut, so it's really important. So I'm adding anxiety to the situation that should be easily nothing. The point is, is I'm sitting here thinking... As I'm listening to the podcast, you have to sell ads in your podcast to fund it. And I get it. I mean, that's what radio is. I've been in radio. That's where I started at 19 as an intern in radio. So I get it. I know radio and I love it and I don't want it to go away. I think it has a great purpose. What I'm saying is, is what if a new player came into the podcast game now that it's taken off the way it's taken off, like a Netflix that determines that they just pick and choose and buy contracts with the podcast they want and become exclusive. Meaning like a Joe Rogan could join Adam Curry, which I think Adam Curry as the godfather of podcasts should be the first one allowed into the arena where he creates his own channel that is only for his people and it's exclusive. And if you want to be in it, you must subscribe. I know that sounds crappy and I know everybody's like, I want free, I want free. And you should have free. And maybe there's a way to even rethink the model of Netflix to rethink the model of free. But I'm just saying, I want to see something like that where it happens. So then I started thinking to myself, how did that idea come into my head? Well, it obviously is a Joe Rogan thing because he interviewed Adam Curry, which taught me that he was even the godfather because I had no idea. I thought he was just another long-haired guy from Hairbangers Ball that probably is still somehow tied to the hairband network which is also making a big comeback because generation x wants it so i thought okay these are ideas from ideas but then i thought that's what all ideas are ideas are from ideas ideas spur from ideas and they continually carry on and that's how they grow and fall like a chain and i was thinking to myself then how does bad things happen where people get tortured and carried into these long miserable lives and I was thinking like directly Holocaust like I saw a meme on Facebook that was showing all of these people voluntarily walking into the chambers where they tortured and killed them all and understanding that that was a like, how does that happen? And they're like, oh, how does that happen? Oh, all of us, look at us, we're all... And it was it was using it as today because of corona. It was trying to imply that, which I do not agree that we have anything to say with the Holocaust. That is its own evil beast of a thing that should have never happened in this world. And to this day, if people still don't use that, remember that, and know that, to tie together why humanity and people in power is a, a deadly recipe depending on who it is that you put into power, then... I don't know what else is. So I wanted it out there. I want people to be reminded of that event and I don't want people to deny that it happened. But what I'm saying is is I don't know that it compares to what we're living with now, even though maybe it could in later times. I don't know. I'm just saying it was in my feed. I've already given up Facebook, but it was in my feed at the time and it did be relevant to me and make me think. 
I'm getting rid of Facebook because I'm tired of seeing naked pictures of our president acting like he, yeah, Photoshop is stupid. Photoshop be damned. Um, anyway, back to my point. What would make someone like be able to do that? And I think it's because they ran out of ideas. They ran out of ideas of how am I ever, ever going to get out of this? How am I going to escape? How is this not my fate? How am I going to get out? Just like people in prison. Now, I'm not saying that people in prison didn't deserve to be there. I'm sure they did. And, you know, I'm, there is a small pocket of people that did not. But you end up learning how to succumb. You succumb to your fate. And that's when your ideas cease. And your resilience steps in. And the resilience is something that can be there when you have ideas. Resilience can be there when you're pushing forward to get yourself to a next level. Or resilience can be there when all hope is lost and you don't know what else to do but survive and try to get through it and remain intact as a human. But resilience is something that you must carry with you at all times. And if you don't have resilience, I don't know. But I'm saying, Perhaps that is why they walked through there because they were out of ideas because there weren't any ideas at that time that were going to work and they saw so many ideas fail. But the ideas were based on individualism and not group. And imagine if every single one of them had the same idea and every one of them had that same idea that they were going to do that. And that's not something normal that comes from peaceful people that that don't understand war and fighting and, and nor should they nor should they. I don't want to be in a world like that either. But I'm just saying ideas are power. And even though an idea may be wrong, it's an idea nonetheless. And you have to listen to ideas. And you have to consider ideas. You cannot dismay an idea because you don't like what it implies. You cannot discredit an idea because you don't like who it insinuates may be negative. You have to understand that every idea is worth betting in a world with no answers. And if there are no answers, every idea must be vetted. Every lead must be fought. You know, I heard this, uh, that Diaz guy, and he made a great point. You know, when he was talking about criminal investigators, when you have all the facts lying ahead of you, there may be detectives with different theories. They may think it was a different guy, but you understand where their intentions are, and you understand that they're giving ideas, and every idea must be vetted to find the right one. And if we're not in a world of ideas, if we're not in a world of suggestions, if we're being condemned to one side or the other with no in-between, the ideas are going to die. And we can't allow that. We have to have ideas. As far out and as crazy and as funky as they can be, it may be one that you can discredit within an hour. And you can be like, well, heck no, we'd run out of oxygen. Duh. Okay, fine. Discredit it. But you must consider it. Every idea must be considered to be a successful place that moves forward. And if you can't consider every idea, if you don't want to hear every idea, and if you want to shut down every idea, then that means that you yourself are putting yourself in danger of being into a one-sided place where you can't see anything else but what lies ahead of you as you walk forward. That's all I know how to say it. Okay.
Hello, hello. Hello? Hey. You can hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Sounds pretty clear. It does. And <laughs> we, fig we figured it out. And it says it's recording. Nice. We are live. Finally. <laughs> so my thing is, should we see how we salvage the first attempt that we went through for 17 minutes and hope it hangs out or do we like try to remember what the heck we even said <laughs> we can just say hey for the first 10 minutes you'll hear some glitches and it gets better <laughs> mm -hmm. because it was our first attempt at trying something good right now we, all right now we, now we know so now we can start where we were, where you were saying cellar, storm cellars and basements. And I like how you, like I told you that the key word was basement when we disconnected from the first attempt. And then you came back with, yeah, key word was storm cellars and basements. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was, and I was thinking about how, creep, how creepy they are, man. You know, I have this memory and memories are weird. So it's probably like not accurate, but I just have this memory of when we were kids in Iowa and we were living on this, in this house on this North Elm street, whatever it was, <laughs> which was, which was creepy because the of, same name is the scariest movie on earth this, when we moved there. Exactly. The, <laughs> the movie ruined me. Um, oh. But, but uh, I, mom at some point, like, you know, she'd get up early and go to work. And then at some point she had like a maid, like a, uh, a lady who like was doing our laundry or something. Um, yeah. Like, I think she was just like paying this lady, um, to help out. I, I mean, it wasn't like a long period of time or anything. I don't know if she was just trying to help out the lady or like what was going on. I just remember like I came downstairs and like mom had left and I didn't know the lady was there. And she was like an older lady, if I remember right. And I opened up the basement door because I heard somebody coming up the steps and it was that lady. And I just screamed. Like it, it frightened me that bad and I just like screamed at her. So I don't have any memory of that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, there's no way we could have afford like a, at the time like our, our you know yeah mom when you look at timelines that didn't make that much money look, yeah when you look at that timeline anytime you lived in Iowa I mean stuff was pretty real for me so I think I'd remember a crazy old lady in our house which is why I'm wondering was there a time when you were there and I wasn't because you know I did kind of get sent away a couple times you know yeah, I don't remember I, if you lived there then or not. Yeah, that's like a confusing timeline to try to remember. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember if you were there or not. I just remember um, there was a lady who was helping us with our laundry and she was coming up the stairs with a laundry basket. And I just remember focusing in on her face and realizing it wasn't mom and then like freaking out. Well, and the funny thing is, is I could have very easily have been there and forgot because like I've uncovered things I didn't know I remembered. And then when I heard it, it was just like, 
like you replay the whole thing in your mind like holy shit that was true i forgot about that (laughs) (laughs) like even the time you brought up the furnace with the huge floor filter that like you had to walk across it like it was what a three foot by three foot huge metal grate with little tiny metal squares inside the grate right yeah and then like if that heavy metal grate did not hold you you would literally have fell through the tube that somehow heated this tiny ass house. Oh my God. Yeah. In West Virginia. Yeah. I don't, I I don't think I've ever just thought about the fact that that, about the actual tube itself. (laughs) Yeah. Like you took, because I remember you, your little GI Joe guys would fall down up in there and you'd be like, Heather. And I'd be like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Stay back, stay back. (laughs) Yeah. That I'm going to lift this heavy grate that is like, 50,000 pounds. Yeah, that Twist great... it to the side and then you're going to stick your hand in there and grab it, but you're going to stay back. <laughs> <laughs> that great situation, that great situation could have been in like so many different horror movies like It or something. But I'm just saying like your G.I. Joe guys though, like they hung on to that lint, you know? It was like a great <laughs> filter to catch them because they literally were living, you know? They, when you had them cross that grate... <laughs> It really was life or death. I mean, yeah, that that was a oh man. It and it was like ice cold when you walked across the tube. And I remember I had a nightgown as a little girl, so when the heat would come up through it in the winter, I would stand on it and it would like float me up like Marilyn Monroe. But <laughs> but I was wearing a nightgown, so you know what I mean it was like a flannel, like Laura Ingalls Wilder nightgown. And it would just be like the cool. I'd be like, oh, it's so warm. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny with kids' events. Yeah. Luca, Luca, like, um, every morning, he just goes and, like, in his underwear and sits on the vents in the wintertime. Like, like if he'll just, like, take a bagel and go sit on the vent because he likes how warm it is. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, until you brought that up, which has been of recent, I didn't remember that. Like, I did not remember that. And it was absolutely true, and it totally happened. And then I was just like, oh, yeah. And then I could add to your story. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting how you remember, like, like the subtle details of something, like the texture of something or the way something felt, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like the, the, the detail of that grate is like, like, I couldn't tell you what my bed was, like, but I can remember the grate. <laughs> like well, it's and and that's where I'm thinking like that that Netflix series about your mind explained. There was one episode that talked about how the more senses you could connect to a memory, the more defined it becomes. Mm, yeah, so, that's why. Yeah. That's why, like sometimes, in like um, like situation rooms and stuff, like if they're interrogating someone, like they'll, you know, like if if they were doing a certain thing at the time of the scene, like drinking a certain beer or doing whatever. They'll try to like have those things available, like those type of props and stuff, because mm-hmm. it helps trigger memories better. Well, and that's why I think that when medicinal marijuana finally passes, every one of us should be easily diagnosed with PTSD. Because I think that that's just a... The disorder problem is that it's when there's too many negative ones connected. 
but I think there's ways to outweigh that because it, it, to me, PTSD means you, you done all your five senses just connected to that memory and it's going to be like really grooved deep in your brain. And if it's a bad one, it's going to take a while to kind of like fix that. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. But if it's a good one, then it's like, holy crap, that's amazing. I don't know. Sometimes I think like you can actually, the, the deeper you dig one, the deeper the other can dig. Like, I don't know. Is that yeah. weird? No, <laughs> I, uh, um, I used to like for the longest time, I kind of thought like the idea of repressed memories was like a bogus idea. I was like, ah, uh, like, I, I, know. Didn't, Me too. I didn't understand that. Like, I didn't think that I just felt like it was like a cop out. Like it was a way to just not want to remember something. Um, and then like I recently did some, or not recently, this is like, four years ago now, three years ago or something, but I went to a counselor with this like whole childhood mapping thing. And they walk you back through this like extensive questioning timeline of like all the way down to like, do you, do you remember the way that your dad interacted with his dad and like questions that's like almost impossible to know, mm -hmm. um, but tries to go as deep as possible. But anyway, during that time, like I had some like, I was like really digging deep and it was like all of a sudden from from like remembering one thing it was like a domino effect and all of a sudden like my mind opened up to these memories that like I had no clue were there mm -hmm. and like and then I talked to mom about something and she she said something that was almost like a trigger word or something <laughs> it was like I was like all of a sudden like I just like had this like flood of these random memories um you know, most not so good, but a few that were good. But that's what it made me think of that when you said that, because it was like, it wasn't just like repressed bad memories. It was like, when I remembered those bad memories, I also triggered remembering like some things that were good as well. Mm -hmm. See, that's, that's the thing with me too. And I, that's where I was thinking of, you know, maybe for you, this woman that you saw that scared the living shit out of you, perhaps by tomorrow I'll be like oh yeah this is her name and this is why and this is what was happening yeah it but, been I, like but I didn't have enough interactions of hitting every sense because she never scared me if if this were who she was and I just dismissed it as something insignificant to myself but I still yeah, remember I mean, it like it's still filed it's yeah. like in a little deeper or like a, a less shallow pool, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And it, it could have very well been like a lady that my, that mom was like, Hey, like I'll pay you to like watch Adam. Cause all your sister's work. in treatment. Or like what? <laughs> I, I gotta go early. I gotta go to work early this, this morning. So, and then like, I saw her carrying the laundry. So in my mind, I'm like, Oh cool. We got a maid. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, what I'm going to recall now because of that. Yeah. Because either way, it's not going to be anything worse than what I already know. It'll just be like a funny accent, like a extra salad at the salad bar. <laughs> like, Oh wow. Well, they even have crushed deviled eggs. Wow. <laughs> okay. Here's a, here's a, here's a memory that literally because we're talking popped into my head just now. Oh, okay. And tell me if how accurate this memory is or if it's completely exaggerated in my mind. 
and it's okay. a little bit it's a little bit awkward so I'll just give you a warning um but i have a, a memory as a kid we were all living under the same roof at the same time meaning that you and greg were both living in iowa at the same time that was and greg was like bench pressing or something and Probably. the weight the weight was too heavy and it fell on him and you had to run out of like the shower or your room you had a towel around you and you do you remember this yes <laughs> and you were like yelling at me for not helping and i was just standing there like oh at the both of you i don't remember that you were like embarrassed because i think your towel was falling or something yes because you were trying to get the weight off of him <laughs> it's like in a movie when like someone's trying to lift too heavy a weight and they get stuck on them um and you i i just was like i just like froze and didn't help and you were like yelling at me like why aren't you helping what are you doing just standing there i was gonna say i i remember i don't remember that part sadly i don't remember i guess i was in the heat of it i don't remember what i said but i know i would not have yelled at you for not helping before i got there ever like i know i wouldn't have done that because i would have never put that on you because i've always kind of been your buddy you know what i mean yeah i think i mean I, but i could, I could see like pointing i could see and laughing and being a jerk no but i can see like my towel i remember my towel was falling exposing myself <laughs> and i was like 12 and awkward yeah. and I remember needing help because I couldn't get it. And he was yelling at me to get it off of him and like how I was weak and like screaming at me like Greg would like get it off. And here I am like just showed my brothers my naked self at 12 trying to. Yeah. And I'm pretty I was, sure I was, I was like literally being a in jerk. The shower and he was screaming bloody murder to where I was in the shower like what's happening? And I shut the water off and I wrapped myself in a towel because there was like, I had a towel. And he's like in that position that you're probably looking at from your vantage point. <laughs> and so I'm like, so I'm relying on myself, like wrapping a towel and tucking it. You know how you tuck it in the front to like hold it? Yeah, yeah. And I'm lifting him and trying to rip it off of him and I can't even handle it. And the thing gives way. So it was a mess for sure. But thank God. Oh, step poppy wasn't there. I mean, that would have been like, blah. I'm so glad I wasn't there. Like, you weren't there. So yes, you are accurate. And I'm really sorry. I apologize. <laughs> but that is accurate. Yeah. And he had a very long mullet and it was red. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Have, I still like don't I don't understand why we had a bench press in that room like in the middle of our living room but it's good to know that I didn't just completely make that up in the mind so no that's what I'm saying like anything you remember I believe you I it's just like, either forgot or I gotta wait a minute and remember yeah it's like you know memories like I said, are weird things because it's like you, you feel like you have like an exact idea of something. Like even like something is, you know, as small as like the playground where we grew up. It's like mm -hmm. 
you know, in my mind, the slide was like four times higher. Then when you go there as an adult and you're like, oh, that's like, that slide is like six feet tall or seven feet tall. But in your mind, it's like, you know, as it, the perspective of the kid still. So, so here's my weird thing that you just made me think of with your thing. Do you believe that one, of course, telling your stories with each other comfortably and understanding them and retelling them is good to understand both people's perspectives? Because a lot of times when you carry one for so long, you carry it and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse to where you assume everybody remembers it the way you do. And then that's how you feel shame. Mm, yeah. Where yeah. if you trigger a memory and you just recall it, it's never been retold before. So it's stored as is. So when you say it, you're like saying it as you were interpreting it at the time. Yeah. It's almost like the telephone game where you're telling a story over and over and over again in your head. Yeah. And slowly, slowly bits and parts of it start to like be manipulated in a way. Yeah. It just gets bigger yeah. and bigger because you make it bigger and bigger. And then even when you don't try to make it bigger and bigger, you can like, like, you know, the whole forgive yourself and all that. You still have some type of shame you carry that you expect everyone else to remember it the way you did when they might not even have a memory of it at all. Right. Yeah. Which is weird. I mean, I remember this is the weirdest thing, but I was walking through Target and this older woman who looked familiar, but I could not tell you her name or how I knew her. And by that point, I had already had several jobs, you know, worked in different towns. You know what I mean? Like you, it's kind of like Facebook, the people where you see them and they have like a thousand friends. It's like, yeah, I job hop or something, you know, but I was, I saw her and I'm like, I, yeah. And she said, I want to let you know that the plants you gave me and she like named them off the one in this pot and the one in that pot are thriving. She's like, one of them doubled down and I even planted it and gave it to my daughter. How are the boys? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, awesome. And then she like went on and on and on about these plants and how I did the best thing in the world and how, how much that meant to her and she'd never forget it. And, and, and I'm like, awesome <laughs> I, I that's really great and to this day i have not connected that memory weird yeah <laughs> i'm like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so then you realize the impact you have and you're like oh that's a lot yeah i i have that happen like um from people who I went to college with will like come up to me like in a random place mm -hmm. and like the, they'll say something to me like about a time in college or whatever and it's like somehow I just have no recollection recollection of it at all to where I'm like I don't I don't think that's true like, I don't think that was me you think that's because in some way because I know you and I are a lot alike in that way where I do stuff all the time and I don't think twice about it. It's just the way it should be. And for some people, that's like a thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And so it connects them on different levels to where for us, it was like a one emotion deal. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> did that. <laughs> oh, 
Your sound got weird. Um, I I'm, I moved my mic away from my mouth. Oh. So what we were talking about? Yeah, what, what were we talking were about? Were storm cellars and basements. <laughs> oh yeah, back to that, huh? <laughs> because well, I feel I like it's such off. a good story. No, you. And no, then we went down it. a tangent or a rabbit hole of memories. No, you added to the story because when. I bought my first house, which by the way, I bought at 19, which I'm really proud of. Granted, yeah, it was through I, HUD, I but that. still, I bought the house. It had a finished basement. And it had a finished basement because the floods of 93, which were like those devastating floods, you know, where Bill Clinton was filling sandbags for photos and, mm -hmm. and stuff. And like Anheuser-Busch was like flipping their beer and making it white cans of water. Well, they assured me that because this house was on the other side of the railroad tracks, that although it did have flood damage that they repaired, it was never flooded from the floods. And it, was, it wasn't even in the floodplain. So I was like, all right, cool, I'm, it's good. But it turned out they finished the whole basement with insurance money because it did. And I was fine with that. I mean, I never had a problem, but um, we had, her and I had a basically a 1,000 square foot ranch with two bedrooms on top, two bedrooms on bottom. It was like a mimic of a house, but it was like two houses for us. We were like, we, we were, we raised each other in like a one and a half bedroom apartment, you know? So we get this house, she's three and we have Barbieville in room four and you know, all this stuff. Well, then I ended up downsizing, but I bought a huge Victorian house on the other side of town, but it had a creepy old basement. Yeah. I remember that. And it was not a big deal because she still had like her whole space that was hers and was awesome. And we personalized it together and, you know, did our thing. But when the storms hit, it wasn't fun anymore because we used to hang out in the basement and it wasn't scary. I'd just throw in a VHS and we'd watch Pocahontas and she didn't think anything of it. But then when we got that basement and we had to go in the basement, it wasn't as fun. Yeah. And so I created like a little playland for her down there because in Iowa, it, I mean, it was bad and I didn't even think about it. I mean, I bought the house in like October, so it wasn't until July that I was like, Oh, what I do. But when we built that house, that's why we finished the other basement. So our boys grew up in the same situation and we always said, we'll never do it again. Because like you said, it, it, instead of, Hey guys, I think the storm's going to get bad. Let's move the movies downstairs. And, you know, we already had a bathroom down there. Like, you know, we were just going to have a camp out and we were going to have a fun party and we were going to make tents and forts, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And then that happened. And I agree with you. Like you lived in the storm cellar days where you knew it was bad, like the wizard of Oz and you went downstairs and a lot of times you came up and it, it was bad. So I just was, when you mentioned that you're, you know, you guys don't have a basement, I thought, oh, at least you're, you know, like, but where you live, there are no basements. That's just the way it is. Yeah, it's pretty rare. I mean, I think so I've, Florida, I know like, like one person that has a basement. Yeah, and it's probably because it was built on the half side of a hill. Right, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's built on a It's, it's built not on a because they hill. dug it out, like, yeah. 
So I get it. That sucks. And I still yeah. don't understand why there's not tornadoes anywhere else. And I've heard people correct me and say, it's because they're cyclones. And I go, oh, that's right. I forgot about the great cyclone of Siberia in 2006. <laughs> like, there's not, like, where? I mean, you hear about hurricanes, you hear about earthquakes, you hear about mudslides, you hear about floods, you hear about tsunamis. Where else in the world have we heard about these tornadoes? Yeah, I mean, Nashville got rocked by the last one. Yeah, it was like, hey, I'm going to rock you with a hurricane and then I'm going to shut you down. Yeah, I have a buddy, I mean, uh, an artist friend who, you know, his his art studio like his apartment everything just got like demolished and so he was like desperately trying to find another place and then right then it's when the pandemic hit when he was like just trying to figure all that out and it's like but you know he doesn't have a wife and kids so you can imagine all the families who were like trying to figure out their lives after the devastation of the tornado and then something like this happens yeah. I know. You know, <clears throat> something Landon said when we were taking him to work because he has to wear a bandana and, you know, Jimmy, make subs. Jimmy, Jimmy, yeah. No, it's uh, Jersey Mike's. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they've been good. And, and you know what he said? He said, I just really appreciate that they're still giving me hours so I can work because I know a lot of people have, you know, like rent and car payments and, you know, and I get to live with you guys and you guys still take care of me. So I'm just glad they let me work because I get to see people and have fun. Yeah. And I was like, awesome attitude to have. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, I don't, I don't know how that happened, but God bless it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You're doing something like that. Doing something. I lucked out with that. What's funny is, you know, our brother Greg is texting me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Skyping in. Oh wait. Um I want to, but let's do it one another time. Yeah, yeah, I was just kidding. <laughs> no, I gotta show you. I'm oh my gracious. I how do you say this in the way that's like I love you, you're the most original person I know, and this is so Greg, I love you. <laughs> they're they're building a guest bedroom in their basement that's finished now because dad and mark and everybody pitched in we all worked together and finished it mm. and they only they only buy like secondhand and goodwill and like antiques and i love them for it like amy's already made me stop and think on more than one occasion because i used to love her and i love to shop but i shop to find stuff that i'm going to repurpose and make into art she finds stuff that already is art yeah and we've had that conversation so that's why i'm saying i want to say how much i love this and it's hysterical and awesome all at the same time but they have put in a new queen bed and they've used everything that they have found to make it a 70s suite <laughs> like uh like you gotta walk through like hanging beads well that's her room. that's her special room but this guest room is um, like it's 
he even he called it glamorous. That's what he. That's all he said. He sent the pictures. Said glamorous. <laughs> and next to the curio hut, in the lavender walls, this is like an ivory, sateen satin, spreadsheet like bedspread and everything with like the velvet pressed designs, in a yellowish color. With several pillows built out in the antique like um, fringe. Okay. I'm gonna send these, and I'm. But the thing is, is I'm just like, dude, he's excited. He's like, come on over. And he's got it set up, so you know he's gonna start you next. Because he's all about having guests, and he knows that Mark is allergic to their cats. So he did downstairs because there's no carpet and they'll have it clean and they won't let the cats down. Oh, yeah. So he's like, he gets mad when I leave and go to dad's and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like, Mark Oh, yes. Seeing it now. There. So I crash on their couch when I go by myself. Well, we still have to put together a, a trip. Yeah, I think me, you, and Greg need to get together. And that will be the funniest podcast because I feel like if, if anything, that's the one that will be like, holy crap. <laughs> They're going to laugh. Because it's, but I think it's cool. Like, I feel like we could even sit on stage and do like an improv at the hall show or something and we could go on the road. Or we could just build a theater and make them come to us. We'll have it in uh, Wellsburg. Um, you still there? Yes. Okay, it muted for a second or something. Yeah, I'd be into a theater show. We just have to, like, if there's one thing I've learned or decided, it's I don't want my parents to see my shows or listen to my podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why don't you? Because, like, I feel we have, as much as I love, 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 love them, I feel my thoughts, my feelings on public perception, my accountability and ownership of my mistakes that had the best intentions meant to be are not understood or shared. Mm. And I worry that like if I say things that are genuine and real that like you said are my interpretation of what I thought the facts to be at the time I'm not like mad. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I just wish we could all be like, yeah, that was, that was some messed up times. This is where I was in my learning and evolving as a human. This is where you were in your learning and evolving as a human. I know I still tried the best and thought I was having the best things for where I was at in my place. Turns out I wasn't, <laughs> you know, like, it's great if this is how you feel better about it, go with it. Like, I don't know. I don't feel like that's gonna happen. 
Yeah, I mean, I can see how it's weird, like, talking about these certain things, and then you, like, know your parents are going to listen to it, or that they would listen to it. However, that one lady, uh, what's her name? Her name's, like, Ford, or she has a stand-up on Netflix, and she's really funny. She's a comedian. She's in, um, she used to be like Chelsea Handler's, like one of her castmates. I'm trying to think of her name. Ferrari Ford or something, like Ferrari. I don't know. Anyway, she like calls out all this stuff, and her mom's in the audience cheering her on. And it was when she was trying to come to terms with who she was. And her mom's like, no, nah, you're a debutante. This is what we're going to do. And she's like, no, kind of kind of like girls. Oh, no. Yeah, I know who you're talking about now. She's got like red kind of curly hair. Yes. Like, yeah, like hysterical. Perm, perm looking hair. Yes. Yeah, she's so funny. And then I think about um, Bert. Is it Bert Kreicher? Kreicher? I know Roach makes fun of him because he never wears a shirt. Right. His, where he was like, where he, he kept calling it... Um, secret teller because i guess he and his dad secret are time yeah secret huh? time that's it and i'm like that's how i feel and i'm i'm like i don't know and it's the thing is it's like it doesn't have to be that way because i want him to be cheering me on and i'll be like yeah you know yeah but i don't know that that's where everybody's at Yeah, it is like it's a like it's it's definitely an uncomfortable thing for me to talk about with with the parents to where it, just because it's it seems like it's so hard to like feel like you're on the same page or yeah, get well, or get or get their like what you're saying get like kind of the the response you're thinking you should get. Yeah. Um, and I've had my like climactic Oscar winning break it down here's where we are like descriptions and you know breakage and it'll be like new phone who dis <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like never mind it's fine i'm gonna just go cry over here and mark's gonna entertain you what like a new movie <laughs> he's like it's all right honey just go over there <laughs> yeah so I'm like, you know, I just, mm, mm. I hold back a lot, even though I feel like it'd be funny because I think it's funny. Mm. Yeah, I sometimes, I sometimes still feel like I'm like a 15 year old kid around their parents, even though I'm almost 40 years old. It's like, there's like some part of me that's still like to this day. Um, uh, it's like I don't understand fully the psychology of it, <laughs> but like basically, even down to like stupid things, like um, you know, dad, had dad over, and I had told Ty a story about this time when um, um, they went out of town and I threw a party, uh -huh. but I never, I never like owned up to the fact that I threw a party. Like I made up some big story, you know. And but I like would never told him the truth about it, and then we were all hanging out. And Ty was like, "Yeah, like that time you threw that party at your at your dad when you're, they were out of town, and like you made up that whole thing." And I was like, "Uh, oh, what? What are you talking about?" Like, <laughs> I was like, like giving her the wink, like shut up. 
<laughs> I was like, it, I'm like almost 40 years old and I'm still terrified that they would know I threw a party. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Well, but then again, there's like times where I'm like, dad, <laughs> like just the things out of his mouth. I'm like, dad, <laughs> he's, he'll like, he won't talk. Like he will not. I think I still try to figure out what dad's vice is. Cause I finally got mom on the understanding that I know what her vices are and quit nagging me about my vices because we all have vices. Cause we all have fucked up stuff. Like it is what it is. You know, I'm like the third generation out and hopefully my kids won't be as messed up as me because I'm not as messed up as you who is messed up more as your parents. Like, it is what it is. It's fine. Right. And then sadly, that's why dad's just like, I don't know what to do with any of this because he was raised in a pretty stable one where his dad just would get mad a lot. Like, but not much, you know? Right. And that's, that's kind of like a thing that I think is hard. Like, I've noticed this with people who... Um, and, and I'm not saying that you can't have this like this like sort of understanding of the matter if you don't have kids like but I feel like for the most part when you have kids you you know if you're a, a decent human being at least you you all of a sudden have like this much more broader understanding and like ability for empathy towards like not just your parents, but like just people in general, like, you know, if someone's being an asshole to you or treating you poorly or unfairly or whatever. It's like after, after you have kids, like it's a lot easier to go down the road of thinking like, man, obviously this person's like been a, like it is at one point, this person was a, you know, a teenager whose parents were probably, you know, not around or, or whatever it might be. Like, there's a reason this person's acting this way. And mm -hmm. I think it's a lot easier to have that, like, perspective and, like, grace with people if you have kids, especially, like, your own parents. Because, like you said, it's like you realize, geez, man, like, our dad was brought up probably pretty a pretty cold environment, maybe. Like, you know, like... Yeah, but Grandma Viv was the most lovey-dovey woman in the world. Like, I think it, oh, was, yeah. a, it was a mix based on their generations like yeah well i mean and i don't mean cold as in like not feeling loved i just meant like like that that era was like such like a hard like especially yeah. in the area where they grew up it's like they were way more hard like oh yeah yeah poor and yeah like, you want to ride you like, hitchhike like that's how you get to practice <laughs> yeah and it's like now we're like you know it's like i guess this pandemic in a way is like a reminder of how freaking comfortable our lives are. <laughs> it's like, you know, our, our just one generation ago, like our parents, when, when they were being raised, it was like such a harder environment to be raised in. Yeah. Well, I mean, like our dad went to Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, could you, could you imagine like the outrage if like, if they, right now tried to say that like there's like, going to be a draft like we're going to force you to go fight like well my dad volunteered because he said they were forcing everybody anyway and he figured he might as well his brother was going so but i mean it turned out his brother didn't i think he went to korea but it was also yeah I, I remember 
like you know had have been pretty young but i remember like having like nightmares like and like anxiety as a kid because somehow in my mind i thought like i would be drafted mm-hmm. like when i when i grew up like i thought yeah. oh like like that's a thing like i'm gonna have to go fight like and like that wasn't like a reality but somehow in my mind when like dad would talk about like yeah you just get drafted and that sort of thing like i just thought like oh that's that's all that could if there's another war there'll probably be another war by the time i'm that age so well the reason why is they made a big deal out of when you were turning 18 that you had to go register at the post office like we saw we saw that all the time and it wasn't because there was any act of war it was just saying if there were you know hey we might call you (laughs) like yeah yeah it was real i mean and then you know we grew up playing games that were around it i mean our cabins were the coolest cabins in the world and they always had a tunnel so you could dig yourself out in case there was ever a gook on the wire you know (laughs) yeah that's intense it's like (laughs) (laughs) it's awesome that's what i mean i'm like i don't know i I think it's pretty dang cool childhood yeah it's all kinds of stuff yeah i mean i sometimes like feel guilty about not doing enough like things like that with my kids um yeah, but I, don't I try know. to be intentional with doing those type of things but i mean it's crazy how with i don't know if like everyone's different but it's interesting with boys like i don't know if you experience this with lance and or vanden oh my God. right yeah lance and <laughs> um Same uh, syllable landon and vance mm-hmm. um but with landon um I don't know. I, I guess it seems like it's like a part of their nature. Like, like at some point, all they want to do is like go have battles and, and pretend fighting. And and it's like, it seems weird that um, it like, like it's interesting to see how if you've gone generations and generations without any type of like war or struggle, like what those, the, there, there's a lot of positive to that. Like, what's the negative? Like, what do we become as a society if, we don't, if we're not faced with any real struggle? Sadly, I, I agree with you, but what I'm hoping is, is that if we honor and understand and respect our history and believe it, I would hope that we would understand that that's something that we don't want to happen. You know what I mean? Like, why would anyone want that? Right. Yeah, you definitely don't. And I feel like we've just been raised in a way of accepting it as a way of that's like, if you can't talk it out, you fight it out, you know? And not that I don't disagree that we shouldn't be armed and ready, but I would much prefer we don't need them defending ourselves within our borders so that when the time comes, we have everybody else, you know what I mean? Like we know to just kind of like when the teacher leaves the room and you know, you just sit down and shut up until she gets back. Yeah. Like that's the way it should be. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like that we can be at war fighting while we're still at war with ourselves. 
it's like we're depleting our manpower. Um. Yeah, this is an interesting time to see just how at odds we are with ourselves. It's, that's for sure. Oh, it's so dumb. And the thing is, is it's because you got to either pick A or B. Like there's no C. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, or at least the it's people media. you hear talking yeah. <laughs> are, are finding a middle ground. I mean, I have just, I have dedicated my, like, climb from, you know, secretary and to tassler and security guard and everything else to get up to being into marketing and PR and, you know, that stuff I love. I always said, I think it'd be so cool to manage celebrities and stuff. And I don't know why it's weird. It's mental, but I understand the way you can be persuasive and are like whatever we, whatever it is that we consume must be persuasive. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. I guess I know how to polish a turd and make it be what you want it to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and the sad thing is that most people like the, most of the attention goes to toward the negative, like, like yes. the outrage and the fear, like that's where the, that's where the clicks are. It's like, you can, you can never just find a positive comment about a re, like a result that's found or something. It's like, there's always some fear factor that's added to every moment, you know, just like a little tagline at the end of something positive, just to make you think, well, you know, it could turn into this though, or this could happen. Like, they, like with this pandemic, it's like, mm -hmm. they'll give you a, they'll give you like, you know, a positive um, outcome from some new data that came in, but then it, but then it, they'll add a sentence at the end of that. That's like, um, but you know, numbers could spike um, with this and it's like, they couldn't just leave it. I see that constantly. But, but you know, I, I look at it too as, you know, knowing how I, when I, cause I have to consult a lot of businesses and listen to their complaints. And something I hear a lot of is that whenever they decide to incentivize and push a certain goal, the results are higher that you reach it. So like for instance, if, if you spend a whole month focusing on, let's say you're a car dealership and all month long, anyone that can sell wiper blade replacements gets a $50 bonus on their paycheck. And then all of a sudden you see a spike of 70% sales in wiper blades, but they're down in floor mats. So everybody's just like, what do you do? How do you do it? And I feel like what the media does is when they have a goal, they figure out how to spin every single thing they intake into a way to make that one thing shine. And then you forget about the floor mats, you know? Right. And you can pick anything. I mean, there's 50 million ways to die and there's 50 million ways to be rich and there's, you know, 50 million ways to break into our country. And I don't know. I'm just like, this is the flavor of the month. This is the, 
Baskin Robbins Super Monday deal. So I don't want to listen to any of it. I just like Netflix because I can watch a movie and do some shows and learn. Yeah, I, I haven't been um, really paying attention over the last week to anything. I have like a few app news apps and stuff and I'll check things in the morning just to see any breaking news or something and then that's about it. I don't sit and watch any news channel ever. But then again, um, it is good to be informed. <laughs> well, here's the thing so, is it's not just news. That's where everyone's like, it's just the news. I'm like, no, nah, man, it's not the news. Because there's a lot that's swayed. Like, it's basically public television at this point. And then some cable shows, you know? And, like, it depends on who owns them. So then you got to know who owns what. Yeah, it sucks that there's like, I mean, I haven't really dove in to see like what's probably the best news sources out there. Like I try to do a mix of a lot of different ones because um, I think, you know, each each one of them has their fault for sure. Mm -hmm. But um, it's it's kind of sad that like there's really not like a like an unbiased, like just like a straight, here's the news. <laughs> Here's what's going on. Like, cause it's like, that would just be too boring in a way. Like it would be like, I don't think you'd be able to, to back it. I mean, unless you, I guess you could, people probably go on YouTube or something. But just, it's like sad cause it just seems like that's impossible now to have. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's probably been 40 or 50 years in the making. I really feel like the only reason why we have a tilt is because there's not a politician in the driver's seat and they can't handle it because neither side has any leverage. But I don't know yet. That's just my th hypothesis. That's because you figure it hasn't been this stupid or crazy since Reagan took office and he was an actor. <laughs> yeah. I always forget that about him. And he came in the middle of it and it was probably too big for him at that point, too. And he had Alzheimer's. Hmm. But, hey, do you mind if we take a five-minute potty break? Go for it. I got to go. Okay.
I'm back. Did you go? <laughs> no, I'm I'm so far away from a bathroom. In the factory? Yeah. Like I'd have to walk like a good ways to get there. Well, and let I, me just I locked you. myself in my little jail cell here. Selfish plug to you. I love all I mean, I always love every painting you do, but the painting that you did of the Smokies has just been like, oh, like that's my view. I can't wait. We're going to go back in two weeks. Yeah, I heard you were going back out there. It's probably a good time to go. You could probably get some good deals, huh? Well, we got a great deal, and we don't. We got it big enough so that our boys could each bring a friend. Oh yeah. And I don't think anyone's gonna let them bring a friend. Mm. We have one that we're on the fence that thinks might be able to go because they work together. So it's like, well, if you work together, I mean, you're home if you're not. So. We're hoping they let him go. But anyway, the cabin's big enough. You know, I know it's just a shoot drive over, but I know Ty's back to work, so. I yeah, her. And majority. the I mean, we're pretty uh, safe. I feel like we follow all the rules, but we are exposed a lot, technically. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I know. That's another topic, but. <laughs> anyway yeah. i love your art i love your paintings when's your next show uh thanks yeah that's the smoky mountain painting was um a fun one to make just because the the reference is like so easy to picture in your mind from being there so many times um but my next show is december the first friday of december whatever that is of this year 2020 so it's kind of it's going to be interesting to have a show right after like because i think the elections are in november so mm. i'm a little nervous so it's weird to have an art show like around an election really <laughs> yeah for some reason it seems like um everyone's like uh like, okay wait. i'm trying to be optimistic and think that it would be a good thing and that nothing crazy happens and the world doesn't shut down. Yes. Sadly, just like all of these school budgets, the first things to go are art and music. <laughs> yeah, that's such a bummer, man. I know, Ugh. like one of the most important parts. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just talking to um, Michael Logan, the musician. Um, about that with schools because um, I think we were talking about schools. Somehow we were talking about the arts and um, he was like sending me this blog post um, about how like nowadays it seems like like I guess not just nowadays but for a while it seems like everything we've been taught is kind of like backwards like things are backwards meaning like you know, almost stems from like the industrial revolution of like the factory worker mentality and like all that, how it's like, you're kind of taught growing up like to strive and seek success. And like, that's like first and then like finding your soul, like having like your soul is comes later. So it's like you work all your life and then you buy your soul back at the end. 
And it's like, I kind of think of that stuff when it comes to like cutting programs like that at schools, because it's like, you're kind of alleviating these like options, um, at least in the public schools. I and mean, I know some private schools are different, but in the public school system, it seems like, you know, a lot of that stuff is um, kind of looked past as not an option to go to pursue. It's kind of sad. I agree with that. I think there's a lot of things that people need that takes like an artistic eye to see. And it's something that you develop over time. I mean, you, there's yeah. natural ability, don't get me wrong, but you still develop that. It's almost like it's raw, you know? Yeah, I always, I always say that, in my opinion, like, what makes a good artist is like, I mean, not just this one thing, but this is like one of the biggest things, in my opinion, is taste, like, which comes down to also having a good eye for something. Because, I mean, there are so many artists who are like, their ability, like, their technical ability is like, something I'll never achieve, no matter how hard I try. But like their taste in what they're painting, like what they're choosing to spend their time creating, a lot of times never translates or connects on any level to take them anywhere with their craft. It's like, you know, they just happen to be like attracted to this one thing that's like impossible to market or sell or, or you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm articulating that well, but it's like, if you don't have good taste, <laughs> it doesn't matter how good you are as an artist. Like you have to, it has to come out in a way that is relatable. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Whether that, I mean, that, yeah, same thing with music, you know. It's the same thing with marketing. Like if you don't connect with someone, it's just more crap. Yeah, for, exactly. So much crap. It's funny though how sometimes crap works and it makes me so mad. I've had times where I've said things and I was wrong and I was like, why? <laughs> 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 like, you know those stinking billboards where it's like, hurt in an accident? Call 888-GET HELP. <laughs> And I'm like, what? It's like, oh yeah, guys, like he's got that, uh, you know, acreage over there with the mansion on it. I'm like, okay, I guess that works. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird. Um, it's weird with art that way too, because there are times when, like, I know for sure a painting is crap. I'm like, man. Like, there's no way that this painting's gonna sell, and it'll be the first one to sell in everyone's favorite in the show. And I'm like, how do I, how do I not see that? I was so wrong about that. But yeah, I haven't even. I mean, December's a ways away, but really it's not when you think about press and all that sort of thing. I haven't even started on it. Like I have, 
no clue where to begin. With like with like what the theme is going to be like because I want to create I want to create like a, I always try to create some type of theme around the show like have an idea of what I'm trying to say at least for like a group of the paintings um, and as of right now I'm just kind of keeping my head down and making things and hoping that if I just put in the work and just keep making things that an idea will happen. And usually, it usually does. <laughs> yes, I'm the same way. And I'm like, oh, that's due Wednesday. I'll figure it out Tuesday, but I'm going to keep working hard and then like keeping it like hanging there and looming on my shoulders the whole time. And then I get it. And the funny thing that I was thinking about with you the other day was you always have the best titles and like the best show titles, like themes and all of it. And yet you picked my brain and I gave you like, 10 ideas that I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then next thing you know, it's like no relation at all to, to what I suggested, but made absolutely 100% perfect sense and was awesome. So whenever you continue to ask me, I always decide, you know what? Obviously my thought process connects with his and it gets him to where he needs to be to come up with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is definitely. perfectly awesome. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, and that's really the reason I do it. Like, I have, like, a handful of people I'll ask. Um, you being one of them and some of my musician friends and kind of like, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. you have any title ideas? And usually it's it's what sparks the, the idea. It's I, re I rarely, like, get a... A, a title from someone and stick with that title but it's but it's definitely what usually births like the final idea well that's funny because I always thought of it as like my fire pit you know after it's been rainy I always like try different things I'll be like cardboard magazines and then I'll be like oh like I'll find some other like materials or I'll get like lighter fluid or something I'm like I'm getting this thing lit <laughs> <laughs> and I always think of it it's like kind of like that Maybe I'm your cardboard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's always it's it's hard like I've been trying to build more artist friends here because it's all my artist friends live in other states so it's like you know sometimes I'll send you or some of my friends pictures of what I'm working on to kind of get reactions. Um but it's hard like to not really have, like they'd be creating like all these paintings for a show and nobody's really seen them other than like maybe a handful of people that you send it to on a phone. And so you're like, you don't really have any peers like, or other professionals in your field kind of coming and looking at the work and critiquing it in any way. So I'm always, it always adds like a level of anxiety <laughs> when, you, when it comes to time because you're like, well, you know, a picture is so different than a painting in person, so it's just. See, and I feel like nice. seeing your paintings in person, like, gives them an entirely new depth of, oh my gosh, like, holy crap. Like, I think everybody should see them live. Yeah, and that's like the value, that's definitely the value of a gallery. You know, 
it's like I, it's hard to imagine like there not ever being any more art galleries it's some because you know obviously you know artists are able to have their own platforms now and and similar to music where it's like they can kind of build careers on their own and they don't need the galleries anymore um and then there's a lot of people who are against like the gallery artist split and they get caught up in all that and it's like i really see the value in a good gallery obviously there's a lot of bad artist gallery relationships um unfortunately but man if you could find a good one um it's hard to put a price on like people getting have, having a, a place to come and see your work in person and you know the amount of people who come in and out of a good a good, a good gallery who has a good marketing and, a, and some type of audience it's like so what if artists united artists from different things like like what if joe rogan and dave Chappelle have a show and while you're waiting to enter the concert hall there's a second level vip waiting room where you get exclusive views of like adam hall art and michael logan on acoustic and you can like sip some bevs and wait to get in and then they like see all that and it's only in this state <laughs> you know what i mean like maybe maybe joe rogan's on to something yeah if you I mean, all definitely... brought the platform together and combined events like but didn't compete you know all right yeah i mean it would definitely make sense to do something like that um especially if you had a big if you were like an artist who had a big platform then it would bring the drawing in its in, of itself um but i don't know somebody probably try to get a piece of that too <laughs> yeah maybe we call it like a co-operative or some co-art cooperative <laughs> yeah but there's a there's a big thing I'm noticing now is like a lot of artists are putting together like their own curated sh online shows. Um, they're just kind of like reaching out to you know mid level to to upper level professional young artists and saying hey you know obviously you know of me. Um, it's like once you reach a certain like level, you kind of know of each other in that age group. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of reaching out and saying, Hey, let's put together a show and they'll get like 10 artists. And then through those 10 artists um, with everyone kind of combining forces, the show goes up online on, on a website hosted by one of the artists. Um, and then the paintings go on sale, like, you know, at this time, and then nobody takes a cut on anything and whichever painting sell all the shipping information and collector information is then emailed to that specific artist to handle that end of it. Hmm. Um, and then you take, they, you know, they either transfer the funds or you take payment on your end. Um, it's kind of a smart little fun thing that they're doing. Yeah. You know, when Mark and I went on our honeymoon, we went to Vegas, which for me at 26, that was pretty extravagant. 
you know, I hadn't really been anywhere other than Gatlinburg. I think I went to DC and then we camped, you know, we went to parks. We didn't, that was our territory. So, mm -hmm. um, anyway, they had galleries and it was expensive at the time. I mean, I can't believe this, but we're 18 years ago. We, it was like probably 20 bucks a person to get into them, which was a long, that was a lot of money. But I saw my first real Van Gogh and I saw my first real Picasso and I saw my first real Monet. Uh, and, so it was like a traveling thing. Like they would just be there for a little while and then go somewhere else. No, it was like, depending on the place, like Las Vegas actually has high level places and you pay to get in like one of them was located within each resort and it was really amazing because i never saw one in real life i've only seen prints my whole life and i hadn't ever anticipated seeing any of them because i have no urge to ever fly over the ocean <laughs> so i just assumed that's what it was and then when i saw what it was i was like wow they're really like I remember I leaned in like I was gonna touch the Van Gogh one and I was like shushed by a guard like crossed like the threshold like today the way we get shunned if you're in your distancing circle yeah and I was like sorry sorry <laughs> but um I mean it was really amazing but I feel the same goosebumps when I look at yours oh thank you so to me and mine is is i feel like those were coached into me because those were the big books like if any book was a book it was a book with their paintings in it you know what i mean so you were like kind of taught that that's what it was but i honestly have no desire to ever own one like i respect them i have their prints i use them in my i mean i have a starry night tattoo on my ankle but it doesn't represent that I wish I had the starry night in my house. It was more of a, like a representation of that's the first time I realized art was something that like could change your emotions. So, and it was like the first thing I was able to buy a print of and hang in my first apartment when I was 17. So it like had a significance, but I would rather like, I would throw it all in and say, give me an Adam Hall landscape. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice of you to say yeah I, well I, the thing is is i have one of your original originals and i know you're embarrassed by it like you're like eh that was just like <laughs> like to you you were like that was when i was like a like that'd be like me hanging up how i still hang up my kids' favorite paintings they made me in school yeah like but i'm gonna keep it up because even brianna like she gave me this watercolor ballerina dancer that she did in the fifth grade that to me looks like something that could be in a museum i still have it in my house and it's framed and i'm gonna keep it forever so that's mine and i think it's funny because our whole family is jealous that i have something on my wall that you made <laughs> i i don't like you know like those type of paintings it's like yes i would be embarrassed to like have that as like a part of my show like to like as like i would be embarrassed in the fact that like if i was claiming that like that's a current painting of mine 
but if I wasn't claiming that and I was just showing it as like almost like a um you know what do you call it when someone does like a show like of their whole um history mm-hmm. um like because in essence I'm really glad that you have that painting because I don't really have any I don't own any paintings well I have maybe one or two rolled up somewhere but like I don't really have any paintings from that era and so it's kind of cool to see that some like sometimes you'll post a picture and I'll see it in the background on the wall and mm-hmm. I'm like oh man like I completely forgot about that and so it's kind of fun to see um how far I've come in regards to like the direction that kind of the different roads I've gone down Mm-hmm. to get to get to where I'm at stylistically um so yeah I'm not embarrassed of it other than I would be if I had to like show it in front of a bunch of people but see I absolutely I love it like I'm gonna hang it forever because I think it's again like you said I'm, I think I chose the wrong word but kind of like like for me, anything that I might have done 20 years ago, I'd be like, eh, you know, I've kind of evolved. Why don't you show this, you know? Oh, no. Yeah, I knew. I totally knew what you meant. Yeah, but Just... I'm like, for me, I look at it and I'm like, I absolutely love that thing. And I'm, I'm glad I own it. And um, who has the pool player? Uh, I have it rolled you do? up. It's rolled up in a, in a, in a bin in, my, in the factory. Okay, cool. I have two pool players. I have one that you've never seen before that I did in high school. And then I have the one that you've seen that I did um, as a second draft. So you can have them if you want them. <laughs> well, I just think it's going to be in like Adam Hall early collections. Like I think that maybe that could be part of my 401k. <laughs> <laughs> That's and- funny. It's funny, isn't it? Like, because I have people who buy my paintings uh-huh. who like they like they they are they like are basically like treating it as like an investment they're like it's like there's almost like this like weird kind of hidden level of pressure on me that I feel because I sometimes I feel like like I owe it to the people spending thousands of dollars to like keep this thing going <laughs> so that I can so that they can like you know make good on their investment hey as long as you make it fuel and not stress i think that's awesome yeah and i mean most people are just buying it for that reason that'd be kind of sad if that was the only reason someone's buying a painting but you know i think some people have that in their mind too well i think the people that have that in their mind buy the mona lisa because i honestly don't want to hang that in my house but i appreciate it yeah i mean you think about like okay if you did like the whole men in black erase your memory and then stood you in front of like the Mona Lisa or a Van Gogh like and you had no memory of ever learning about that artist and you just were looking at the painting from that perspective like would you want it or or connect to it in any way mm-hmm. and probably most of the time you wouldn't <laughs> I don't know it's probably not fair to say but but I'm just saying, because yours are painted with a connection, you feel the connection. And I think that's why people loved theirs at the time. It was because they felt the connection. Not because they necessarily liked it or not, but it was because it had, at the time, you know, that thing that carried on, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, I definitely am a firm believer in in anything we do creatively. 
in, in any genre, um, that there is um, something that kind of can become attached to that art that, that um, is this hard thing to put words to, but definitely um, moves people. And you can tell, like a lot of times you can tell when like a painting is flat or like if you hear a song and it's flat because you got to create those too, but there's like some kind of magic thing there that happens in the arts that um, um, is always surprising, especially when it comes to like a painting, because it's easy to understand that with music, but for like a flat image, like something material moved around on the surface to connect on a level like that with somebody um, always kind of is a shocker to me. And it, it does happen, but it's, it's kind of rare for it to like really touch somebody to where they're like in tears or something. Um, but, but it happens. It happens. Cause you don't know what anybody's saving or holding or doing or. Mm. Yeah, I, w I was working on this painting that was in my last show. Um, it was that like one of those seven feet tall paintings. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been like, like really, really struggling over the past few years with my faith. Um, and for some reason, like when I was creating that painting, I was like, you know what? Like I haven't listened to like, like worship music, you know, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like just, just like, you know, all sons and daughters, like, like any type of just kind of straight up, like worshipful type music. And so I was like, um, for whatever reason, I just decided like the whole time I made that painting, I was going to like, be in that state of like, listening to worship music, which I hadn't in years, and like kind of meditating on the things that I'm going through and struggling with, with my face. So anyway, that's like the state of mind I'm in when I'm making this painting. And then the painting's done, it's, it's framed and it's hanging here in the factory, ready to go for the show. I was about to ship them, uh, or no, I was about to take them in a trailer down to Charleston for the show um, a week later. Um, but before that had happened, this woman just like came in and we were talking and, and all of a sudden she looks over at the painting and just like bursts into tears. And I was like, whoa, like, are you okay? And like, she like didn't want to go into it, but she just basically was like, I'm so sorry, this is embarrassing. Like I don't usually cry in front of people, but she's like, I just looked at that painting and all of a sudden I felt God in it. Wow. And like starts bawling. And then I found out later because she's actually like a vendor here in the factory. She, uh -huh. makes she makes jewelry. Um, I found out later that she had been dealing with breast cancer. And it was like what kind of like brought her back into like her own faith practice. Um, so she was like in the midst of like dealing with that kind of thing too. Um, because of a hardship of battling the breast cancer, I guess. Um, and so, when, so somehow the energy I put into that painting... <laughs> 
like it, obviously it could be com a complete coincidence, but I like to think that somehow like all of that that was put into that painting, like, like just like went into her, like that energy, like somehow it sounds very like woo woo, <laughs> no, but, like, but like it definitely connected on a very similar level. Mm -hmm. um, and that's happened like a handful of times. And when it does, I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is going on? I'm telling you, when you put your feeling into what you're doing, like I do that with my writing, I, you know, and people talk about how they connect with it. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, it's not everybody. It's, you know, a handful, but who cares? Like one is enough. It's amazing. Even when you don't even realize you're doing it and people are like, oh, so no, I think that's amazing story. You know, we've, we've talked about energy because again, you know, I was talking about in that very early one about how my, my phone will make my arm hurt when I hold it. And I just sometimes think that when you see people and you get this weird vibe and you can't explain it, it's usually kind of true. And sometimes I rely on it a little too much that it weirds people out, but I don't know. Do you, I mean, you and I have both talked about that where we seem to pull in people when we travel or when we go places that are strangers to us, but may feel some draw to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're freaking like um, bug traps are crazy sometimes though. Yes. It's like, it's like a radar. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but. but no, yeah, I mean, most of the time I think it's, it's um, a good quality to have that people would be attracted to you in that sense, like that they feel like it's safe to be themselves. Oh, I love it. Like people made fun of me for a while and I would resent it because I'm like, well, here we go. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to drop that. And I'm going to see what they want because usually it's something that ends up being a great experience for both of us. If we just let it happen, you know? Yeah. I used to let mine get me in like that. My like weird tractor beam for these like individuals and scenarios, like, like put, get me in trouble. Have I ever told you my serial killer story? No. I call it, I call it my serial killer story. Cause I used to have a real problem with like, not a problem, but um, I think we have this similar trait where it's like, it's just like hard to like, like walk past a situation or like, it's like you're like when I moved to Nashville and came to college here, it's the first time that I had ever like been in a city environment like that where there were homeless people. Mm-hmm. And just homeless people all over. I remember you and talking so, about this. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I would find myself like constantly like feeling the need to like stop and help somebody and like just always having like like this <laughs> this like you know optimistic view of like you know like kind of a naive a naive outlook on things. Mm -hmm. Um and so but I was always just like finding myself in these situations and um, um, I was like driving home from work and it was like one in the morning cause I was valley parking cars and 
we'd get off at super late and I was driving home and there was this like guy flagging me down. Did I tell you this story? I don't think so. This guy was like flagging me down and there was a car like looked like it was like, you know, just shut off on the side of the road. There was like a gas can on the ground and he's flagging me down and I drove past him and he looked like, he looked like terrified. Like, and he had glasses on. He almost looked like a Jeffrey Dahmer type person. And I, so I turned around in the next median to come back to see like he needs help. Cause it was kind of a busy road and I was like, felt kind of like safe. Mm-hmm. So like, and so um, I get, I park my car, I get out. Before I can even get out of my car, the guy's like right up on me. And all of a sudden it was like, <laughs> it was like, because we're talking about intuition, it's like all of a sudden, like, like, like a, like a, like a person would have the feeling of like a tiger hiding in a bush, like that, yeah. that instinct that we all have, like through evolution of like, like get just out. knowing what, what, no, yeah, get out, knowing when you're in danger. It's like yep. all of a sudden, like that feeling overwhelmed me, and I knew I had screwed up. Like I knew I had made a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. And it's, at this point, now my mind was racing, like, how do I get out of this? How do I? And so the guy says, hey, you know, um, I need some money for gas. My, my car's broke down or my car ran out of gas, whatever. And then he kind of says that, step, makes a step closer to me and then looks around. And the the look he gave was like, looking around to make sure it was safe to then attack me. Mm-hmm. And so then he's made another aggressive step forward. And at that very moment that he made that second step forward and shit was about to go down, a cop drives by. Like at freaking two in the morning, like a cop drove by. And I, he looks at the cop car and I jump backwards. And as soon as that happened a freaking woman jumps out of a bush and says just screw it let's get out of here and they both they both run and jump in the car and take off oh my gosh so i was like 20 like 15 20 seconds away from whatever they were about to do um a woman was literally hiding and i was like I didn't understand. I was like, why was she just not like hiding in the car like, with her head down? Like, why was she like outside of the car? Unless she had been outside when I pulled up and so she hid real quick or something. Yeah. But I never understood like why she was hiding. But um, unless she was going to attack too or something and had a gun, I don't know. But um, anyway, <laughs> after that, like my, my like. Um, Maybe they were going to jump into a new car. Yeah, maybe that was the idea. Yeah, that was, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know why I'm not thinking straight about that, but yeah, it's probably what would happen. It's pretty freaking horrific, probably. I don't know. Yeah, they were probably going to dump, they probably stole that car. Yeah, and then they were going to get into a new car, but I don't know. Um, So anyway, like, that was like an eye-opening experience for me to now where, now I'm like, I can't ever just like feel free in that mode of like, oh, these people were like, you know, coming over to me. Oh yeah. Now, now like my walls are up and I'm like, 
shutting it down pretty quick. Yeah, I'm always like, call the Hope Center, man. They're open. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same. I've had some close calls. Not like that, but I've had close calls where I was just like, oh, I have to act fast and get out of this situation before I'm dead. Or, like, you don't know. Like, sometimes I wonder, like, how twisted of a world would it be if that's how your interview goes so they can be like, oh, yeah, they're cool. They know how to act under heat. Like, <laughs> I'll bring them. <laughs> Meanwhile, black, you'll like never forget it, episode. and it's like changed your life's behavior forever. Yeah. Yeah, it was a close call. I miss the I miss those days, the days of valley parking cars and no responsibility. I wouldn't trade them, but man, there were some good good times. <laughs> We've met a lot of people. I always be like, Adam's always telling me who he's met, all these celebrities. And they can tell you which ones are jerks and which ones are nice. Because <laughs> nobody's yeah. Looking. Yeah. Um, it's funny because speaking of ballet, all my buddies that I used to ballet with put together this like um, group text, and they still had my number, so they sent out a group text of like a ballet reunion. <laughs> it's like we're all gonna get together and like tell stories of all the crazy awesome. things that happen while parking people's cars. You have to record it. You have to record that. And make it a podcast. Yeah, I was like thinking, I was thinking the other day, because there's so many crazy things that happen, but like in some just like really silly, funny things. Mm -hmm. It's one of the, one of the funniest things that ever happened to me, valet parking up. I've told Ty this, but I don't think I've ever told the story, but it was like, um, it was a really busy day. There was like this huge banquet and like on top of like a wedding and on top of like all these other things, concert or something. And it was like a sunny day and I drank like a five hour energy and I was just like high on life. Just running, exercise, getting exercise, getting cash. And, but I was also like trying to park cars in a hurry so that like we wouldn't be overwhelmed with cars. Mm -hmm. And I got, I got in this minivan, this family had gotten out of this minivan and I jump in this, in this minivan and the song was on that's like, I feel like making love like that 80s song. Mm -hmm. And it I crank the stereo and I fly the car around the circle like way too fast. And at the top of my lungs, I just screamed out, I feel like making love. Like I sang the lyric as loud and as crazy as I could. Uh -huh. and, all the, and all of a sudden I just hear this little old lady's voice go, well, that was pretty good. And I had freaking taken off without them getting their grandma out, <laughs> out of the van. <laughs> and cranked their stereo and flew like 30 miles an hour around a circle screaming, I feel like making love. That's hilarious. And she like didn't even care. She was just like made a funny comment like, that was pretty good. And then I was like, ah, like turned the volume down. I was like, I'm so sorry, ma'am. I didn't know you were, you were still in the car. <laughs> the stuff like that, man. 
it's like always some type of funny thing that would happen in the ship. Who was like the most famous person you ever met? Um, or at least the most famous to you, I should say. Huh. It was pretty cool to talk. Like I got to hang, I talked to Larry King um, and he gave me two front row seats to see Duran Duran. Really? As, as my tip. Yeah. Instead of tipping me cash, he said, Hey, Hey buddy. Uh, I talked to him for like five minutes and, uh, and he said, uh, um, I've always loved him as an interviewer, but, um, I, he gave me uh, he stood out just because he was so cool and personable. He's really short, um, but so cool and personable. And then like, he's like, Hey, uh, I have to head out of town sooner than I thought. Um, so here you go. And he gave me two front row seats to see Duran Duran. That's and it was like the freaking coolest concert ever. Um, but I, I met like a lot of cool people like Evander Holyfield and lots of actors and actresses. I got to talk to Sharon Stone for a while. And, um, uh, um, what's the dude's name that's in all the Adam Sandler movies? It's really short and funny. The guy who's like, you can do it. Oh, Rob you know Schneider? Dude? Yeah, Rob Schneider. I got to talk to him and hang out with him for a little bit. Um, like lots of like random, almost like like um, older actors and actresses and like B-list actors and stuff. But man, I can't think of I can't think of like who the most famous person would have been that we hung out with or got to talk to. Tons of sports people came in and were there. Um, I saw like Garth Brooks a few times, talked to him. So that was like a pretty big one for me because I'm a huge Garth Brooks fan. Mm -hmm. And he was like the nicest man. And he would always give everybody 20 bucks. That's awesome. He'd say, he'd say how many valets you got? I'd say six. He's like, all right, here's six $20 bills. That's cool. I loved his show on AE. I probably cried three or four times. I never watched it. That's oh, amazing. Makes you love him even more. I was, I remember once you told me that you met little Richard and I thought that was funny because he had just recently passed and Michael Logan put up a nice post about the time he was a really cool guy on the airplane. He, was <laughs> he couldn't talk to him. Did he, t did he say what the story was? Yeah, like he was running by him and he grabbed him because he had a guitar and he asked him if, something about a show and he was like, yeah. But did he say in the post why he was running by him? Yeah, because he was going to poop himself or something. Yeah. He going to be sick. <laughs> he, had he had diarrhea. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I, um, I, like not exaggerating, have, have hung out in Little Richard's room talking to him for long periods of time, probably 20 times. Really? Yeah, he lived, he lived at the Hilton. That was his, where he lived. So he had a room there all year long, every year. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so he had his own parking space. So like, if you were working the ship, they would give you a sheet of paper that was like, Little Richard's going out, he'll be back at this time, around this time. 
and you would cone off his spot because like you know sometimes someone might pull in a like a guest might pull mm -hmm. in a spot not knowing so like you had to make sure that that never happened and so you would had to you had to always guard and cone off like his spot and then when they'd come in as soon as you saw him pull in you'd have to run over there with a bellman card and like help him get all this stuff up to the room and i have in, in our house in a box i have a, a, a sign he gave me a book signed it and then put a scripture card in it of <laughs> some book that he passed hands out to everybody it's like uh -huh. a it's like a, a christian book like a i can't think of the name of it um but he like one time like he was like oh, i don't he's like i'm so sorry i don't i, don't, I can't tip you um, and he's like, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he like signed this book and gave it to me and put like a little scripture card in it. So he was like really into, into like church and, you know, like he was definitely into his faith big time. At least at, towards, you know, at least at that age, I don't think he always was, but um, I just remember whenever you'd walk into his room, it would hit you in the face, the smell of makeup. Really? Yeah, like, it, I mean, it was so strong, like, because he just would cake on makeup. And you'd push him, like, you'd, my job was always to push him in his wheelchair into the elevator and into his room. And That's then he, great. yeah. No, he was just, super, super nice. He was yeah. never disrespectful. Well, I remember you telling me all that, but I didn't remember, like, it, Michael's post made me think about it and I didn't know that he lived there and all of that. I just knew you said you had met him. And I thought it was funny that you best friends met the same celebrity, but in two separate situations. Yeah. Um, Longenecker Valley parked for a while too. That's why I thought you were, I thought you were going to say he met in ballet and I was like, oh, no way. Um, but uh, Michael, um, valet at the Marriott and he has a funny story of taking um Chris Rock up to his room mm -hmm. and the whole time they're talking and Michael takes the bag off the cart sits him in the room explains you know here's the remote here's how you turn on your air conditioning blah 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 like the whole script that we had to do and then Michael goes okay if there's anything else you need Mr. Tucker oh here's our here's our, our extension oh. for down the room and he, and he starts walking down the hallway and Chris Rock is just standing there and all of a sudden he just goes, hey, hey, Mike. And Mike turns around and says, yes, Mr. Tucker, <laughs> for a second time. And he just goes, ah, nothing. <laughs> like he was going to correct him and then he just decided it's not worth it. And then, <laughs> and then like he said halfway down the elevator, it hit him that what had just happened, that he had just confused him with Chris Tucker yeah. and called him Mr. Tucker two times. <laughs> That is so funny. Oh man. That is so funny. <laughs> I bet maybe one day they'll be able to tell that story with each other and laugh. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> oh. You know, I'm not even tired. I feel like we could do one of our all-nighters like we always do. Yeah, we could. Uh, how long? How long we've been doing this? Uh, An hour? An hour and twenty minutes? Probably. 
And I, I mean, we haven't even gotten started. We haven't talked in like weeks. Oh, he said that that bedroom was all Amy's vision. But she has a great vision. Yeah, I love Amy. I wish I could spend, get to know her more. Well, I feel like if my business plan could work for us to reestablish West Virginia as a tourist destination versus a fracking, oppression, drug testing, government facility with a satellite that finds aliens, I'd be down. <laughs> I loved your podcast about West Virginia. Thank you. Um, like when you're, especially when you're reading off, reading off all the like, the stats or like the what do you call it like the oh yeah like, our, the, pla our, like the place the placeholders of like where it stands with like yeah if we know, were the NFL we'd be like the like, Browns yeah pretty <laughs> yeah. much <laughs> it's like it's yeah. so so bizarre that it's but no know, one knows it yeah it makes you question like it makes me question um um my like growing up there because like in my mind it was like being there in that little you know what do you call it a village it's not even a town mm -hmm. basically yeah um growing up there it's like in my mind it was like this kind of ideal situation oh my gosh my favorite um, like yeah but then like if if someone were someone were to say to me now and i hope this is like not i don't want this to come off offensive by any means but like if someone were to say to me now like hey like do you want to go raise your kids in beach bottom I'd be like, hell no. Like, I want to stay here. <laughs> like, I don't want, like, I don't want to raise my kids there. And the like, sad thing is, is it's like, there's a lot of good people there. Like, I have a lot of friends with a lot of great kids. Everything's going to be great. It's just, sadly, it's an environment that, that's really hard to break yeah, it has through. Not, and I don't make that comment meaning, like, oh, I wouldn't sure. want my kids around, like, yeah. like have nothing to do with the people. It's the opportunity it's not it's like the it's like yeah the economy of it like the yeah exactly. the, the opportunity side of it like it seems like um just things are almost depressive there like in regards to you know finding a good job or, and it's absolutely you know. right because everything is deteriorating around them but everyone that's deteriorating it is not from there you know what I mean? It's almost like they're living in, it's almost like, I don't even know if this is true or not, but like the Afghans where like there's, there's the Al Qaeda and there's Americans and they're fighting and everybody's just sitting in their little like wooden huts going, what the shit, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> Let us yeah. have a happy life, but it's quiet. It's like, you don't realize it's happening, but I would love, I mean, there's so many cool things about that place. And I have a whole business plan to rebuild Wellsburg, but I have never said it on a podcast because I don't want someone to steal it. Because all of my ideas, I give them away. And this one, I don't. Well, this one's yeah, mine. Like, yeah, and people, cause, and people know you who live in West Virginia, so someone can very well steal it. <laughs> well, and people, that's I'm I meeting like, people who listen to this is probably people who live in West Virginia who listen to this. So I'm more like, hey, go fund me and I will show you. And it's going to be amazing. And then we can all be there. Not that we're going to be millionaires. No, we're going to just help rebuild it all so that we can tell the frackers to get out. We don't need their money. Yeah, but, but I guess what I was getting at is like, doesn't it, like, 
like although aesthetically nothing's really changed yeah like yes like don't you feel like it's like way different than when we were kids or is it just because we were kids we don't remember it's getting more different it's getting more different because the the places that we grew up did not change whatsoever like i can walk into the house and see the paneling on the walls and i can exactly see where i might have carved this or fell on that but half the mountain got shaved away there's like six lanes on some spots and now they're building the bridge finally that even aunt sherry was like oh my gosh they're finally building the bridge (laughs) i'm like because the frackers are mad that they have to drive their trucks down to wheeling to cut across and it's going to save them like millions in gas so it's not like for them it's around them you know what i mean yeah I don't know. It's still a beautiful place, though. Yeah. It's worth saving. I think so, for sure, yeah. And like you said, like, the people there are great. And I still don't get the whole hillbilly heroin thing. Like, how is it that OxyContin was nicknamed hillbilly heroin because the West Virginians hit it hard first? (laughs) I'm like how like how of all places would that be a place where we're like oh yeah it's it's you can get it so much that even the folks up in the hauler get it yeah that's weird but you know again conspiracies but still i would think it'd be called like white collar heroin or <laughs> like heroin with a p in front of it it'll be like ph heroin <laughs> you know like yeah i don't know oh, oh, for sure man i mean i was thinking of west virginia the other day because i was listening to mike Rowe talk about um, obviously he's got that, um, what's his show called? The, uh, um, what job, dirty jobs or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of like an advocate for like, you know, a lot of what West Virginia is like that blue collar worker, like find pride in what you do and hard work and like breaking your back. Like, like that's like something to be proud of, you know? And like, um, I was thinking about it because I was listening to Mike Rowe talk. He was doing some interview. It's like, seems like a lot of people were trying to get him on interviews lately because of everything that's going on with the shutdown. But it, it, it does make you think like, like in my opinion, like I felt like it was um, like really poor leadership, the way that things were presented when they started using the terms like non-essential. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, I was like that, like that's pretty um like that 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 worldview of like calling a, like a certain person's job non-essential it's like the fact that there's like all these workers out there having to come to the terms with the fact that the whole world thinks what they do is not essential like what you do is not important yeah so we're gonna like you know what i mean like oh for like, sure like the psychology of that of like somehow feeling like you know okay, I guess nobody cares. Like, I guess, 
even though I've thought all this time what I'm doing matters, I guess it doesn't. I guess I guess I have to not have a job and not be able to feed, put food on the table because the whole world says my, my job's not essential. Like, yeah. I don't think anyone's factoring in the amount of like damage that that causes. Like, well, and, and like, for instance, one, it, it is, it's, it's how you position things and how you word things. And again, it's that persuasive media because what I was thinking is what if, like instead of calling it non-essential, what if it was called luxury? What would our world look like today if we called it that instead or extravagance or, you know what I mean? Like instead of telling us that what we're buying is non-essential, we're deciding that in the whole Game of Thrones right now, you can live without that and get by and we're trying to make this thing get tightened down. Right, like I just felt like the way it was presented on all fronts, like there was no like, yeah, like I, I just felt like they could have done a better job. Like, not this isn't like a rip on the president or something. I just, well, that's just like, I just felt like everybody all together in the leadership, the president and everybody, like the way that they presented it, I just felt like they didn't address <laughs> address it well or or use the right terminology with it. Because like, I, I don't know. No, I, I totally agree with you. I just feel like depending on what channel you watched, it's whose fault it was. I feel like however it evolved, it was evolved to do divisions. Yeah, and it worked. And, and, and it did because it, it just sucked. And you know, like that whole post I did where I challenged the reason why people are fighting masks and now making it a political issue is because of how it was presented that was my whole point was just it was presented differently like if it was presented as you too can be a real hero and be like a medical person you know okay but instead it was like if you don't wear this you're a killer you're a you're an evil person that's spreading the virus and you don't care about the world and you don't care about people it's like oh i didn't realize yeah. how bad of a dirt ball i was because yeah, I feel fine. Then, yeah, and then of course, like like anyone who feels attacked, it's like then the other side then starts lashing out. And, you know, like it's like both sides, I felt like were being unfair because then the other side is like, you know, there's people who like, like okay, if you want to wear a mask um, out of respect or feeling like you just, you know, want to do the right thing, whether it's helping or not helping, um there's people calling those people like oh you're sheep or like you're you know you're you know you know what i'm saying like it's oh like, for sure it's like they retaliated on their end because of how they're feeling like they're being attacked it's like it's like the plan worked <laughs> now everybody's exactly. against each other i mean i don't know and it, the whole it, thing at least is the media makes it seem that way but i haven't really seen a lot of that firsthand no but here. it's created that that hysteria of emotion and right i mean i've seen it now on that side where i'm just like dang calm down i'm not saying i'm anti-wearing them jeez i'm not like i was getting sent graveyard posts and pictures of our president naked with his head photoshopped on a body and i'm like what is this like all i'm saying is 
if you would have just told us that we could be heroes and that we could wear them like everybody else does and we could bring yeah. it down so that we can go back to work and feel safe again, I'd be like, well, sign me up. Yeah, I feel like people who post stuff like that or, you know, like I noticed there was like one person on commenting on your um, blog post in the internet about this issue. Like, I feel like those type of people, it's like, granted, there are like people out there who um, like have had a loved one affected by it. So they're emotional mm -hmm. and sure. they're kind of like scared. And so they're acting out of being scared. Sure. And so I, I understand that, but like, I feel like most of the people who post things like that, it's like someone who's like, um, it's like someone who's playing a game of poker with plastic chips and not the real thing. Yep. Like they don't have anything to lose. Like, and they don't, you know what I'm saying? Like they, yes. and they're not, they're not like, they're not seeing firsthand the other side of it. Like it's like, they're so married to their idea. They're not able to like, I mean, just the simple numbers of people who commit suicide every year. It's like, 800 some thousand people a year something crazy like that mm -hmm. commit suicide and it's like okay like now that we have the data you can't just keep people like you can't just keep going and going and going for months and months and months locking down everything because like you're not factoring in like what we talked about earlier about the kids being in the the you know Mm -hmm. the homes that might be abusive you're not factoring in suicide depression um you know there's like at least <laughs> just those things alone which there's more but just those things alone like i think it's selfish to not think about those things and factor that in because i don't know i I'm, I'm definitely in the middle with a lot of this stuff but i i think about those things and i think about like okay we have the numbers. We got really, really lucky. Like this could have been something that was way worse. And I feel like not to be disrespectful to those who have lost someone, but I do feel like we got lucky and mm -hmm. that this thing was not as big of a deal as they made it seem like it was going to be. Um, but hopefully it stays that way. But even though there has, like it's tragic that there has been a lot of deaths, but it's like knowing what we know now, about the people who have died and all the data it's like okay now is the time like in my opinion where like families need to to get back to work to be able to put food on the table like i don't know it's it's freaking tough man and i'm and i'm not like super super dialed in so i even hesitate saying things like that but just seeing the people that i know personally here lose their jobs like i've got couple friends who immediately lost their jobs and they're the only breadwinner mm -hmm. they got like three or four kids now they're now they're depressed anxious scared you know yep. and it's like okay that, that can go on for maybe two months you know but now now that we have the numbers in in my opinion like this can't go on any longer like for the sakes of the of all the people involved you know like it seems to like outweigh it now, but I could, I could definitely be wrong and I'm open to, to being wrong, but that's just my thoughts. Well, and I think that if you're comfortable being a part of it, you should be. And 
if they give us a better conclusion as to why we wear masks or they explain why now of all times, not April, not March, not any of the time we saw all the Asians wearing them the whole time and they were telling us it was worthless. Will they explain why now it's not like they're not owning any past mistakes. Right. Yeah. That's forward shooting the newest news, which is inconsistent with what they said before. So it's like, right. And it's like, I think that, I mean, and I've seen this, like even with my wife's company, which it's like, you know, everyone's going back to work because we need to keep everybody's job. But if, you know, but they, and I think, there's something to be learned from companies because it's not just her company, other companies doing this too, but saying like, listen, if you have like a family member at your house, like someone, like if you're in a situation where you're afraid for um, being asymptomatic or something and passing it on, like if you're in a situation like that, you can still work from home. Yes. Or if you, if you yourself are, then you can work from home. Like they should implement a plan that's just for the people yep. who this thing is affecting. The problem is, is now Which, it's so broad. <laughs> it's like BMI of 40 and above, heart problems, diabetes, 65 plus, pre-existing conditions that affect your immune disorder. <laughs> But I agree with you. Like, let's just start there because that would at least let the majority back out, but there's still going to be a grip of people that cannot. Yeah. I mean, but Hey, it I, is. I just, right. I just think it's silly. Like at this point, knowing what we know and what we're being told to tell everybody, like every single person, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know, man. But I, I agree. I, there's got to be a middle. And that's the thing. Like, I'm not angry at people who disagree with me on this. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, if you said right now, like, well, that's, I, I don't agree with you because I think that it's going to do this or that, or, you know, things are going to spike. Like, like, whatever the thing is, like, that's, that's the thing. It's like, I'm, I'm open to <laughs> having someone, um, prove me wrong on it you know that's the whole thing we were mentioned earlier about being married to your ideas is so frustrating with all this stuff and if so, you're wrong you're wrong you know yeah. just say hey you know what we were wrong this is what we thought at the time this was the data we had and we learned that it mutated again or something i don't even know who knows don't even say mutated because then that'll that could be used interpretively wrong as well, unless it's true. But just own it. I own it. It's kind of back to our whole circle with the parents sometimes. I'm like, just own it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I know your intentions at the time were to help us, and it just was wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of my favorite like quotes. Do you ever read anything from Richard Rohr? He's like a so. theologian, scholar, um, but one of his like quotes that I love is, and I'll probably screw it up, but it's uh, not, not knowing or not needing to know is a deeper way of knowing and leads to greater compassion, like having no agenda, like with your information, like, like just being okay with not knowing. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
or like that someone might, you know, as somebody's idea might um, implant itself into you, they could then disrupt what you think you know and being okay with that. Yeah, well, that's pretty deep. <laughs> But yes, I always say, change my mind. Like, make me, I'm okay with not being right. I just, I'm tired of people not changing my mind. Yeah, and that, and it's like, that's, it's like, that's like the beauty of that quote in a way, because it's like, people, like your mind is, uh, I don't know, it's like your mind isn't going to be changed unless you, like, unless you have no agenda. Like, Whenever you're having, like, uh, this happens to me all the time with religion. It's like, whenever you're having a conversation with somebody, um, if, if I'm talking to the person about, like, let's say how I interpret a certain scripture, if my agenda is to tell them that thing because I think that what they think is wrong and I need to prove to them why they think what they think is wrong and get them on my side, then that person is not going to be open to what I'm saying, because it always comes off that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm just sharing an idea with you in the spirit of like, hey, let's like have fun and toss this idea around and let me see what you think too. Like, and like we both have no agenda and we're just interested in like being genuine with like ex exploring that, those thoughts. Like that's when people's minds have changed. It's almost yeah. impossible to change, you know, anybody's mind about especially like when it comes to things like religion and stuff like that it's like those areas politics and religion it's like they're so ingrained in us and like you kind of you know a lot of times you're just kind of raised in a certain environment that indoctrinates you or you know we we could have been born over in india and have a completely <laughs> different set of ideas yes Exactly. Which is why you can't go into a country of somebody else's and decide you're going to convince them all that you're right and they're wrong. Because you are. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, they were, if you're raised a certain way, like, like, I couldn't imagine someone right now trying to convince me that I'm not a Christian. But I'm not saying that they're wrong for not being yeah i just haven't had anything given to me other than i believe we all interpreted the story in different ways to fit our own needs but at the end of the day it's that one person you know right and not only did we are we interpreting it but the but the authors who put it like the the authors who put it in the bible interpreted it their way and the people before them interpreted it their way and it just gives back and back and back and back and back and back and back Yes. And it's like, so, you know, it, in my opinion, like, I think, and, and, you know, I'm guilty of this myself, but there's definitely like, like a big ego involved, like an arrogance, in my opinion, when it comes to like, when you come across someone who is like, um, it's like, there's a difference between like, having faith like you said like someone's saying like trying to convince you you're not a christian like that's uh, rather than like the ideas behind what you believe like within that like 
interpretation of certain things within that, like, um, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I do because I feel like, I feel like it's almost like a ironic bipolar of us now where it's like, I, I do not believe that our God would ever want anyone to be hurting. Like, I feel like we're the, we want to be peaceful and everlasting. And, and it's when people use religion as a way to have a war, which is by the way, the way most wars begin. Yeah. I mean, it's, but then there's this inconsistency of, well, the first half, <laughs> he's kind of a bad guy, you know? And then there's yeah. that second half where then he had a son and he was all good about things and everything was happy, you know? Yeah. And then, and it, oh, I'm confused. Wait. Yeah, and somehow, after thousands of years and, and people smarter than you and I for thousands of years have fought on these ideas and interpreted them different ways somehow like we've, we're smart enough to be the ones who figured it out <laughs> like through thousands of denominations and everyone believing different things it's like we we're the ones who've got it figured out like we know now exactly what's going on here and and what you're saying about like the two different old testament and new testament like i've always thought like from the time that i could like Really, I shouldn't say always thought. I should say I should say the moment that I had children. The moment that I had children, I've always thought that there's no way you can convince me that the old a lot of the what the Old Testament stands for and the idea of hell it it 100% contradicts the notion of God revealed in Jesus, like the nature, you know, mm -hmm. the the nature that meets the I'll go ahead. I was just going to say like the nature of, of, of who Jesus is like, that's in complete like this. It just doesn't, like, there's so many holes in that, like to try to say one thing with the other, like, you know, like I, I've always also been like um, a firm believer that um, like whenever you draw a line in the sand, like from you know in regards to like drawing a line meaning like you're you know we're over here because we believe this and you're over there that jesus is always on the other side of the, like whenever whenever a line is drawn or the idea of a gate you know what i mean like any of those type of ideas like that jesus is always going to be on the on the down the downtrodden side rather than the righteous person who's trying to claim that they're, you know, that they're in the know. Yeah. And, and that's why what I feel and what I think, and again, like you said, there's so many more smarter people than us, is the reason why you have an Old Testament and a New Testament is because the Old Testament was the stories that went from place to place to place and evolved and evolved and evolved. And it was during the time where the man was the translator. And I think that a lot of times, like anytime I've ever felt the most horrible of horrible hells in my life of pain and suffrage and sadness, it was always at the hands of another human being. 
But anytime I ever felt like I was getting closer to God, I always felt better. So what yeah. I'm wondering is, is the reason why he finally decided, you know what? I don't know how to communicate to you people any clearer. Like I'm burning bushes. I'm giving you testaments. Like I'm giving you rules. You're all still like, I don't give a shit. I'm going back to war. I'm going to have, I'm going to like cut off the heads of lambs and rub them over thresholds and kill the firstborn sons and like <laughs> all this shit to where finally God was like, you know what? What if I bring a human into the world that is of my image and then I live that way so that they can say, oh, <laughs> right. Like maybe then I can get man to quit being such an asshole. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I mean, we do a lot of things because we say we're doing it in the name of God, but are we? <laughs> like, I think God <laughs> wants me to get a red Lamborghini today. I don't know. Is that crazy? Yeah. No, not at all. It's, it's always hard to, like, understand. Like, it's just such a complicated um thing to try to understand in regards to like how much how much is being influenced and how much is like you know what I mean like it's yeah. you know living in the bible well it's like you know you'll hear people say like you know well Jesus you know Jesus helped me find the perfect parking spot that I needed today like yeah, I know. it's like if you're like <laughs> really because down the street a little freaking kid just died so he cares he cares about your parking spot, but he didn't answer. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it makes you feel like a complete ass to try to say, like, I would feel, I would never say something like that just because I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. No. Like, like that does not make any sense at all. No. Like when you really get down to the roots of what, like, it's like all that stuff, like there's, it just, there's so many, like I said, holes in those ideas that it, you know, that's what. So uh, my theory is not necessarily that he gave him a parking spot or not. But the one thing I learned when I did that walk to Emmaus thing that I was a big eye opener for me was I always saved prayer for when I thought it was deservingly needed. Like I used it like a savings account to where it was only when I was in my oh shit moments. But what I realized is, is if God truly is the father, he wants you to talk to him all the time. Like, like you think about the old people in the nursing homes right now that probably have no idea COVID happened because their life hasn't changed. And you only call them when you need money, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like more of a, no, we're actually here for all, all calls at all times and no thing is too small and no thing is too big. <laughs> Just don't get caught up on the small stuff. Well, I don't know. That's just me trying to be optimistic. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, um, being an artist is like I almost look at like your faith and what you believe as like a sculptor would look at like a stone. It's like your your first like they bring before you this idea like like you're raised in a household or you're like, let's say you're Catholic or you're Nazarene, like whatever. And it's like, like you're being brought forth this information of like, here's the Bible and here's the story of God. And like, here's all these things. 
And that's like the stone. And then the older you get and the more life experience you have, all these things mount up. And if you're, if you're open to the idea of deconstructing that to make something beautiful with it, that's like, like how I see like our faith. It's like, I think the more you chip away at it, the more you wrestle and fight and get angry and like, and walk away and then come back and like that whole struggle and all that stuff. Like it, at some point, maybe 70% of it's gone and you're left with 30, but that 30 is way more beautiful than that big freaking stone you had. You know, it's like, it's like kind of a cheesy analogy, I guess thinking of, but like, no, but it, it, yeah, that's it. I mean, that makes sense. It's like, um, I just, I think that it's always like a red flag to me. Like, when someone like almost gets angry at the idea that like well you know obviously you know maybe one of the hot topics is like homosexuality or like the idea of hell or like yeah. all these big things and it's like if you you try to bring up to them well maybe you're interpreting the scripture that talks about that wrong and maybe mm-hmm. jesus never really did have a problem with it you know like yeah. and you try to like maybe bring another angle of how maybe they're interpreting it differently than you are it's always a i was so i was meaning like it's a red flag to me when you're trying it's like you're trying to say hey maybe there's a possibility that jesus doesn't care about this thing yep. and like they get angry with you like like you're shaking the ladder you know from something that they've been climbing their whole life and now you're you're shaking a ladder and if that one thing changes well then it's like it's like this they're facing the idea that like you know maybe what they believe isn't as strong is that strong after all and the whole thing could fall apart and that's like terrifying you know which i don't know how i got off on this tangent but no but i agree with you i don't think any of that stuff is in the same ballpark like it's not even in the same conversation and I, I believe so strongly that we are all born the way we are and we are who we are and we just have to figure out who that is. And as long as no one's getting hurt and people are finding love within the love that they want, what's it our problem? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, great. <laughs> like Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's like as long as it's not hurting anybody. <laughs> yeah, if there's this whole community that feels that way, who are we to say to not be a community? Like good for you you found each other it's not like you're gonna lie and drag somebody through a relationship because they're the ones that fit the mold we told you you should have had then both of you are hurting and what's the point in that all right i think it's all there's so many things i think that don't fit in with the boxes that we're told the boxes are but i don't know how to get people past that Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of it, I think, even comes down to just, like, the time that people have to think about these things, you know? Yeah. It's like most people are just, like, work, go home, deal with the kids, you know, go to church on Sunday. It's like, no, you know, it's, I feel like, I feel like I'm all having, always having these conversations because a lot of my friends are all, like, artists who have, like, it's like, basically the, the shutdown for me is just, like, you know, other than the fact that 
the kids were school was canceled besides that fact it was business as usual being yeah. alone yep. create creating paintings <laughs> all alone talking in my head the whole time so it's like i feel like artists kind of have a lot more room to think about things like this than the average blue collar worker probably <laughs> does <laughs> i think so because i know like for me even having a podcast now it's because I don't have any after hours activities. Yeah. So it truly is work home, work home. And we, you know, we were getting pretty active in social lives and engagements and work events and all this stuff. And I always had a reason to put it off. And I mean, I know I've only kind of felt like half what, what this has been. It's at least allowed me to wake up and explore things to do with time that I've always wanted to contribute to things. You know, think it through. Yeah, yeah. I was excited when I got on the old uh, podcast app, and all of a sudden I saw like three episodes of Oh Hey Heather. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, I started slowing down because I felt stupid because I didn't have a guest, and I was like, I need to have guests because that's when we have the best stories. It's when we talk. Yeah, I was hoping to just—I was hoping to do it in person, but I know. I was like, "Screw it, let's just figure this thing out and do it." Yep. And now, after what we've tried, all these different <laughs> things, we're gonna have like three splices. <laughs> it's gonna be like a three-hour-long podcast. That... And we still haven't quite figured it out because even though I'm recording this on Zoom, I haven't yet figured out how to extract the video. Although it said it was recording to my computer, so I'm hoping it's just a file. Mm. We'll see. And then we can figure out the whole anchor smartphone upload direct thing. Okay. Tis another day. Yeah, maybe this maybe this approach would work doing it that way. Do the anchor, but not on our phones. I'll tell you, Brianna was so excited to hear you and I were doing this. She's like my biggest fan besides you. Hell no way. She doesn't think that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you guys are the ones that like listen to it. She's like, oh, my gosh, you and Uncle Adam are doing one. I'm going to like tell me when you're done. Tell me when it's up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right. Um, oh, yeah, she, uh, I was going to tell you real quick way back to when you were talking about you and the kids being home and Leo and Stella probably not remembering much you know Tula's only she's 11 months old and you figure she's been home with her this whole time raising her and getting like the you know like on salary but at home quarantine ordered thing yeah and it's been absolutely amazingly wonderful because she's also got Caden and she's just being at home, being a mom. So it's like when she's teething, she's with her. When she's walking, you know what I mean? Like she's just living a paid, covered life. And I'm so, I couldn't be happier for her. I just couldn't be happier. And then there yes. are people where I'm like, can you please just go to work? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's okay. Just come on in. Be fine. But 
I'm sure Tula will benefit just like Stella will benefit and Leah will benefit from all of this being at home with parents that love and adore them. Yeah, that's, that's definitely been something that um, I've been focusing on during this time is, um, so it's awesome to hear that about Bree and Tula. She's adorable, by the way. Can't wait to meet her. Um, but um, is focusing on uh, like just making good memories, man. Just like trying my best to be patient and like and just soak in this time and not get frustrated. And you know, it's like it's so easy when you got kids running around, you're stressed out about money and work and what's going on here and storms hitting your house and it's like you find yourself like i'll have days where it's like i'm like i feel like i have a short fuse you know it's like it doesn't take much for me to feel like i'm like gearing up to like raise my voice again <laughs> and it's like having to calm myself down and focus on like okay just remember one day i'm gonna look back and be like i would give anything to have that time back yes and so i keep telling myself that like don't forget that don't forget that Heck, I'm, I'm living it now. I mean, my youngest is 14 and I look at those little kid photos and when they had those little squeaky cute voices and would say things that were just the most innocent, beautiful things. And oh, yeah, but I mean, it's gone. but we have new conversations and deep intellect and, you know, so I'm like, I'm just embracing that. Hey, you can't get it back. It is what it is. You embraced it. You loved it. You worked it, but Hey, and uh, just try to get every 10 minutes out of them you can because they're, they're already in their own world. Yeah, they, uh, Stella has this, uh, <laughs> the past like three nights. So we have this like new thing with her where she, she does like superpower things. And her, like, so the one she does right now is like, if she doesn't want you, like if you're tickling her or like wrestling with her or something and she wants you to get off, she'll say superpower push. And then you have to act like you like fly backwards. <laughs> and so like, she loves it. Like it's like her favorite thing. Like she, and she doesn't just do it when she's like happy. Like she'll do it if she's mad too. Like she really thinks it works. Uh-huh. And so the past few nights, she, is sleeping in our bed be like she'll wake up at like three in the morning and i'm just like i don't i'm not gonna deal with this and so i'll just bring her in our bed um which just makes it worse but so she'll be laying in our bed and she's dreaming and she's kind of like moving around a little bit and then like all of a sudden out of nowhere she'll just go superpower push but she's doing it in her dream <laughs> and so she's like sticking her arm up and saying superpower push and then, she, and then she puts her arm down and then, you know, she's in a deep sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, she's adorable. freaking dreaming right now of like pushing, like doing superpower push on me or something. <laughs> That's awesome. One, well, think about it. We've probably been talking so long that I'm keeping you from them, but we should do this again. Well, it'll, it'll be like, you know, I'll be like a regular guest, like every like couple of months. For sure. We have so much to talk about. So many funny stories. I know we didn't even get into a lot of stuff. I thought we probably would, but I know. 
Well, I'm even thinking of like how weird our careers have taken us and done stuff. So I know (laughs) just kind of, so what happens is like you just kind of let it free flow and you never know what's going to pop up. So hopefully I didn't say anything that's like offensive. (laughs) Hopefully I I always hate like getting into the conversation about like the political stuff or like religion or something. It's like, well, I feel like as long as it's true and genuine, it can't be wrong. Yeah. I don't believe either one of us ever want to hurt another human being right. as long as we live. Right. Yeah, definitely. So, if anything, maybe we helped someone spark an idea that made them think of a new idea that made them think of a new way to think. You never know. You never know. Or vice versa. But, well, All hey, right. Well, yeah, I'm going to work tomorrow. <laughs> You're working tonight. <laughs> I'm working tonight, and um, we have a nanny now, so uh, I get to work from eight in the morning until two o'clock every day in the factory. Okay, so that's amazing. But does she look like the lady that used to come up the stairs? <laughs> no, she's a <laughs> she's a, uh, a sophomore in college. She is home for the summer, obviously. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Leo won't be like, oh my gosh, there was this one time during quarantine. <laughs> yeah, I was like, she has to be fun. Like, she can't be like some older lady. It's, they're not going to, not can't play with them and stuff. Yeah, like you need Miss Doubtfire, not Miss Angry Lady. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, I'm honored to be your first guest. Thank you so, so much. I am honored to have you. Yeah. Like I said, let's do this again. Okay. If I can extract it and make it work right, yes. <laughs> and if not, hey, we'll just have this as in the archive. One day our kids will listen to it. And we'll have to tease everyone that one of these days, me, you, and Greg are going to have our own cabin and just let loose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down for that. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, have a great night. Yeah, you too. See ya. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. And there you have it, another episode of Oh Hey Heather. I hope it has made you think of a story of your own, or how you could relate to this one, or if anything, just something you could enjoy. Thanks everyone, and have a great one.